This is Quotations, a podcast about words, written and spoken throughout history. If you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run, we shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. No matter where you're from, your dreams are valid. The Pale Blue Dot, the only home we've ever known. Hello and welcome to Quotations. I'm Matthew Monroe. Here's today's quote. Quote, Make no little plans. They have no magic to stir men's blood, and probably will not themselves be realized. Make big plans. Aim high in hope and work, remembering that a noble, logical diagram once recorded will never die, but long after we are gone will be a living thing, asserting itself with ever-growing insistency. Remember that our sons and grandsons are going to do things that would stagger us. Let your watchword be order and your beacon beauty. End quote. And those are the words of architect and city planner Daniel Burnham. Daniel Burnham was born September 4, 1846 in Henderson, New York. He died June 1, 1912 in Heidelberg, Germany at the age of 65. Now Daniel Burnham is someone I've had in my quote book for quite some time. And after all, with a line like this, you don't have to search for and appreciate profound words for very long before you come across something as incredible as these words. And as I mentioned just a couple of weeks ago, I recently finished reading a book about the 1892 Chicago World's Fair, for which Burnham was the director of works, meaning in charge overall. Quite a challenging position to be assigned. And it seemed as appropriate a time as any to showcase these powerful words in an episode all their own. It also helps that it dovetails nicely with last week's quote from Adams about enabling future generations. And if you haven't listened to that episode, don't stop this one, please. But do go back and give it a listen after this one's over. And hopefully you'll understand how the two intertwine. Anyway, back to Burnham. To say that Burnham is a well-known architect is quite the understatement. He is perhaps one of the most well-known American architects of all time. Frank Lloyd Wright, Philip Johnson, and Robert Venturi are a few others, though even amongst those, the layman will probably not recognize Johnson or Venturi. I know I wouldn't have, were it not for my wife. And as I mentioned, Burnham was the director of works for the 1892 Chicago World's Fair, which followed just a few years after the Paris World Fair of 1889, during which the Eiffel Tower was unveiled. Now imagine for a moment being selected to run the show that followed that. Right? Even in its day, the Eiffel Tower was an amazing architectural accomplishment, an amazing engineering accomplishment. And it still remains so today. People travel from around the world to visit Paris to see the Eiffel Tower. And that was the World's Fair in 1899 in which that tower was unveiled. And Burnham had the unenviable task in 1892 of following that up with something that rivaled or ideally exceeded the grandness of the Paris World's Fair. And very few thought that that could be done. And those that did think that a fair that would rival Paris's could be built Fewer still of those believed that Chicago was actually the place to do it. And it's worth noting that at this time, Chicago did not have a stellar reputation for safety, nor did it have the iconic skyline or Soldier Field or the Bean that it has today. In fact, if you've ever read The Jungle by Upton Sinclair about the horrific conditions in the meatpacking industry in Chicago, that was actually published a decade and a half after the Chicago World's Fair. So it was still bad enough, even after all the work that went in to make Chicago a presentable city for a World's Fair, that Upton Sinclair felt compelled to write The Jungle. But Burnham pulled it off, somehow. 
As if that wasn't enough, he also designed numerous buildings you've likely heard of or some of which you may have even visited. Buildings like the Triangle-Shaped Flatiron Building in New York City, Washington, D.C.'s Union Station, London's Selfridges Store, and the Merchants Exchange in San Francisco, as well as numerous others. So the man was highly accomplished and at the top of his class architecturally for his era, for sure. And interestingly, the Reliance Building, a smaller and lesser-known building in Chicago, was one of the first in the world designed by Burnham to have large plate glass windows on its facade. And this, of course, we all know is very common in the 21st century, but was not at all common in the late 19th century when Burnham designed it. So clearly, Burnham had vision. I also find it incredible that Burnham was only in his 40s when he directed the World's Fair effort. And I'll tell you, between the Founding Fathers and some of these amazing speakers and writers that I've covered on this show, I sure could develop a complex of underperforming in my life, let me tell you. Now sadly, Burnham died just aged 65 years shortly after traveling across the Atlantic to Heidelberg. And he was actually on the water aboard the RMS Olympic, traveling the opposite direction from west to east towards Europe of the doomed Titanic when it sank on April 12, 1912. Burnham actually had friends on board that ship. And suffice it to say, Burnham left a long legacy, and many of his designs still stand to this day. And, as a nod to my wife, ever since she introduced me to the profession of architecture, I have been, in her words, ruined, because I've learned to notice and appreciate architectural beauty and criticize architecture and design blunders as if I myself were somehow an architect by proxy. And with her, I've seen the Flatiron Building. I've transited through DC's Union Station, and I've walked past the Merchant Exchange in San Francisco. And they are iconic and incredible for a reason. Burnham designed them to be that way. And more so than just about any profession of which I can think, architects must project far, far into the future with their designs. Because if their designs are done well and built well, they will exist long after the architect themselves no longer does. Which brings us back to today's quote. So now that you have some idea of Burnham's impressive curriculum vitae and his practice, consider his words with that in mind. Here's the quote again. Quote, Make no little plans. They have no magic to stir men's blood and probably will not themselves be realized. Make big plans. Aim high in hope and work. Remembering that a noble, logical diagram once recorded will never die. But long after we are gone will be a living thing asserting itself with ever-growing insistency. Remember that our sons and grandsons are going to do things that would stagger us. Let your watchword be order and your beacon beauty. End quote. And perhaps you've heard all or part of this quote before. It is, after all, quite popular and well-known. It's all over the city of Chicago if you've ever been there to visit. It was, for many decades, shrouded in ambiguity because its source was not readily apparent. Sure, people attributed it to Burnham, ultimately rightly so, but they did so without evidence initially. And we've seen this before time and time again on this show. I myself have struggled and failed to find definitive prominence for quotes, often in spite of them being quite well known. Listen to any number of past episodes and I acknowledge this challenge regularly. It is difficult, at times, to find where words originated from. Oftentimes they're completely misattributed. We've had a number of episodes where I've gone on to find that the original words were from some much more obscure source than where they might otherwise have been attributed since then. I always joke that if you're not sure who 
said a particular quote, probably safe to attribute it to Mark Twain or Teddy Roosevelt because they're the ones that always get all the credit. But we do know the provenance of this quote, and that's thanks largely to a man named Adam Selzer, who identified the original writing. And this is why it's not only worth the effort, but exceptionally important for us to ID and document correct provenance when we use quotes. If for no other reason so as not to perpetuate incorrect attribution, or worse, total ignorance of words' origins. Help me, help us, make whomever picks up quotations in some 150 years from now's life a little bit easier. Anyway, the quote comes from an article called Stirred by Burnham, from the Chicago Record-Herald, published October 15, 1910. And the words themselves come from a speech transcribed to that article, delivered by Burnham in London, and Adam Selzer did us all a service and a favor by finding them on microfilm. Went to a library, poured over microfilm, found the words. So there they were, actually said the way that they were said. So much so was the confusion about whether these words were actually Burnham's or not, that Burnham's own son questioned whether or not the words were his father's. His assertion was that, well, perhaps whoever originally said that my dad said these things took bits and pieces from here and there and put them together, stitched together this Frankensteinian quote, and that's what you have before you. But I don't know that my dad ever actually said this. Well, young Burnham, Mr. Burnham Jr., you were incorrect. Your father did say these things. And Adam Selzer, for all the work that you did, my kind of guy. Much appreciation. So, what do we take from all of this? Well, the first sentence and a half are easy pickings. Make no little plans. They have no magic to stir men's blood. Right. Don't dream small, dream big. Got it. Thank you, Mr. Burnham. I'm much appreciated. We've heard that before. But if we go a little bit deeper, if we look a little bit further, maybe we'll see something else that's worth noting there. The next piece that jumps out to me is Burnham's mention of a noble and logical diagram. And he says that it'll never die. And those are lofty words. But what does Burnham actually mean by that? Well, the Oxford Dictionary defines a diagram as a simplified drawing showcasing the appearance, structure, or workings of something, a schematic representation. What I key on in that definition is the words structure or workings of something. And that, to me, speaks of a decomposition. As an engineer, you take something complex and you break it down into smaller things, more understandable, more easily digestible things. And decomposition implies to me deep thought and contemplation and consideration and iteration. And iteration in that we often have to turn something complex over and over and over in our minds before we truly understand it. Now, I've been playing a lot of chess recently, and for anyone who knows the game, you know it's the wickedly complex. And there are nearly countless ways a game can play out. And the more I play, the less I feel like I understand. And this is the iteration I speak of when I reference Burnham's diagrammatic understanding. Burnham is asserting, in my mind, that in order to create something that never dies and outlives us, we must learn it, study it, pore over it, dissect it, attempt to reassemble it, fail, and then try again and again until we arrive at what he refers to as a noble, logical diagram. Only then... Does it stand even a chance of outliving us? And you know, listener, that I've said and maintained that nearly all of us, 
will be forgotten in just a few generations. It is a fact of life, and I stand by that. But this quote is not about creating this amazing legacy for our own sake, for our own name recognition, and for our own generational fame. At least it's not for me, anyway. This quote is about more than that. This quote is about the world around us, and about the way we approach things, and about the goals that we set for ourselves. It's about personal, individual, close-to-home challenges. We all have them, we all deal with them. They're ever-present in our lives. And we can make small steps, we can claim little victories here and there, and those are good, and those are important, and we've talked about those types of things before, but what Burnham is saying here is that if you want to achieve great things, and you want others to want to achieve great things alongside you, then don't make little plans. Little plans don't get people excited. That's why whenever you hear about a startup in Silicon Valley, it comes out to much applause and gets announced, and there's always splashy colors and music. Maybe there's a band and there's a big panel of people that are there. I mean, just look at the way that we roll out things on shows like Shark Tank. Right? It's this dramatic entrance. The doors slide open, and out comes the entrepreneur with a great idea. Trying to do what? They're not trying to say, well, I found a way to make a 1% efficiency improvement in the internal combustion engine. No, they're talking about grand things. They're talking about groundbreaking things, things that have never been done before, never tried before. And they are trying to stir the blood of the judges. Why? So that the judges will give them a bunch of money to pursue their big plans. Now, a 1% efficiency increase in the internal combustion engine actually would be a big deal, so that's a terrible example. But you get the point. The point is to aim for big things, right? As the old saying goes, aim for the stars, and if you get the moon, you're still doing all right, or whatever, however it goes. That's the idea here. If you want to stir men's blood, if you want to make people excited about something, if you want to achieve something great, don't aim for something small. Something small seems easily attained. It seems right in front of you. It seems like, oh, I could do it any time. Burnham is saying make a big plan. Because the blood that he's talking about stirring is not necessarily just external, it's your own. Right? It's not just other people's blood, it's your own blood. It's what gets you going. If you have a big plan, and you've decomposed that into a logical diagram, and you see the steps, and they're there one at a time for you to take, and they lead to this ultimately amazing thing, whatever that is for you, that's what Burnham wants you to do. That's what Burnham is talking about. That big plan will stir your blood. It will drive you to greatness. It will drive you to be better. Because it matters to you that much more. Because it's not something short and simple and right in front of my face. It requires commitment. It requires me to take on that strain that I always talk about. And to make that a part of your daily existence. So make those big plans. That's what Burnham is saying. And you'll notice that I've been suspiciously quiet about pointing out what I would consider to be a big goal, right? It's not for me to tell you what your big goals are, what your big plan should be. That's up to you. That's up to you to decide, because what's big for you may be something small for me, and what's big for me may be something small for you. So I've avoided examples on purpose, but I think that's part of what the takeaway from today is, is to take a moment and think about what are your plans? You get asked in job interviews all the time, what's your five-year plan? Where do you see yourself in 10 years? Maybe it's worth interviewing yourself after this episode is over and asking yourself, where do I see myself in five years? What is my plan? And can I make that plan a little bit bigger? Can I aim a little bit higher? Can I shoot more for the stars and less for the moon? 
Because for me, this quote is about challenging ourselves to do more than we think we can, or maybe more than we think we ought to do. Maybe we think it's too big a goal, too big a plan. It's about stirring others to join us. Stirring my blood, stirring your blood, stirring in them what stirs in us. And you know, last week I mentioned Sam Harris and his assertion that we will embarrass future generations the way our ancestors embarrass us. And I think that's true. But the inverse is also true. And it's summed up well by Burnham in this quote, that future generations, Burnham says sons and grandsons, will stagger us the way that, and this is my addition, the way that we would stagger our ancestors. We joke about it all the time that the things that we do today would absolutely blow our great-grandparents' minds. If you were to pick up Ulysses S. Grant and slap a GPS in his hand and point him towards Richmond, his head would explode. If you were to bring Thomas Jefferson to today and stick him in the Library of Congress with a laptop in front of his face, he might actually spontaneously combust. The things that we do today stagger our ancestors, and the things that those that go after us, the generations, tying this back to last week's quote, that we work to make life better for, will stagger us. They will accomplish things we can't even begin to dream of. So take that as your challenge today. Go forth and do something that would stagger your ancestors with the things that you both dream and the things that you do. And to quote Burnham, let your watchword be order and your beacon beauty. Until next time, I'm Matthew Monroe. This is Quotations, and thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, please subscribe in your favorite podcast app or visit me at quotationspod.com to download and listen. Please also take a moment to recommend the podcast to a friend. That's a huge help. You can tweet at me at quotationspod. Send me an email to quotationspod at gmail.com Find me on Instagram at QuotationsPod or join the conversation on Facebook at QuotationsPod. I look forward to hearing from you, welcome your feedback, and thanks as always for listening.